Well, hello and welcome to episode 82 of Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys from three different generations with red hot takes on sports and pop culture. I'm the old rocker, Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and WJSZ Radio. Middleman and NSYNC guy is Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the Post Malone of the podcast is Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 in Grand Rapids. Our Three Point Podcast roadies include Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap house and grill the corona connection card service michigana and pro mac engineering services thanks also to our website network teammates sports radio detroit and our radio home z92.5 the castle we're going to get into sports including the lions backups not so good performance versus the patriots and we have a special edition of tedertainment tonight as legendary rock and soul frontman mark farner will join us to talk about his career in a big outdoor gig this weekend at roundhouse stadium in duran Ironically, exactly 50 years ago, his peers were at a little festival in upstate New York. We're going to get it rolling right after these important messages. Let's get Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three Point Podcast, located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. Advanced Elevator Company features top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators. An area business leader and longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools. Also speaking of Corona, the CoronaConnection.com. They know it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on all that is Corona at CoronaConnection.com. Everybody listen to Next up on Three Point Podcast is a special Tedertainment Tonight segment. We're pumped up and ready to check in with rock music icon Mark Farner. With his American band, they'll be headlining the Duran, Michigan Veterans Third Annual Rock and Roll Show this Saturday night at Roundhouse Stadium. Now let me set the stage for you, Mark, as we're going to be firing questions at you from three different generations. I'm Ted, the 63-year-old baby boomer. 34-year-old Matt's on the phone from Charlotte, North Carolina. Right on. And right here in the studios at Z92.5 is my 20-year-old nephew, Jared. Now, Mark, first, right. first of all, let me officially welcome you to Three Point Podcast. And how cool is it going to be for you to know you're going to be headlining an outdoor rock show exactly 50 years from a little gathering in Woodstock, New York, and five decades <laughs> 
five decades, believe it or not, from Grand Funk Railroad's big-time debut in front of almost 200,000 fans at the July 1969 Atlanta International Pop Festival. How's that for an intro? That, that is, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, brothers. This is where I, this is my old stomping grounds. I mean, uh, I went through Durant a lot. I went through Durand at 120 miles an hour once. <laughs> <laughs> That's back in the days uh, when we used to go and hit these little restaurants in all the little towns. And uh, Big Jim Atherton, who was the manager for uh, Terry Knight and the Pack, and he managed uh, the Pack and the Bossman and a few other bands. Well, he was driving, and every every place he drove, he always went 120 miles an hour. That's that's why I say. You know, we're going to return to that. But we had a lot of fl- friends in Duran, and it sounds like a lot of fun because in just the preliminary work that I've done uh, with Bob, Bob Sager, you know, going to the radio stations down there, doing some of the other personal visits, mm-hmm. there's just a bunch of good-hearted people, and I like working with them, and there's, there's no trips going on. Everybody's working for the same good cause. Well, you know, you talk about Bob Sager, and he's definitely one of the organizers. Now the third annual little festival over there, which is this is really going to be the biggest because, uh, really, uh, you know, you can be modest, but, man, you're the big-time star coming into town. I think there's going to be a huge crowd over there, Mark, and we want to— Yeah, well, I'm hoping for it. Well, we definitely want to get into your career a little bit, maybe where you started and all that, but I'm going to ask the first real question here. All right. You know, you played that first big show in Atlanta— back in 69 a month later or a little over a month later they did have woodstock was there any buzz at all of uh, of of grand funk maybe making an appearance in new york no we were booked in several other places we did uh, strawberry fields during that time which was right close to the you know we would have play, uh, played there but we were playing someplace else and it prevented us from being there well, you definitely would have fit right in, and, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. it was a whole different era back in those days, for sure. I mean, it just had to be yeah. amazing, you know, getting your start, like you said, playing playing bars, playing little towns like Duran, and then really, uh, you guys were one of the just all-time mega groups, especially there in the early to mid-70s. That had to be just an incredible head trip. Well, I had a hard time finding hats that would fit, brother. <laughs> So, Mark, you've done some pretty cool stuff uh, in your life, obviously playing in front of a 200,000-person arena and stuff like that. But one thing that really stuck out to me when I was researching you is that you've been referenced in The Simpsons, uh, which is one of my all-time favorite shows. Where does that kind of rank on the things that you've kind of done in your life? Is that pretty cool? Well, that's that's way cool. In fact, when we did uh, Pine Knob, you know, back during the the 90s, uh, we ran that clip just prior to taking the stage and mm-hmm. the audience man loved it. <laughs> it was it was an awesome response and what a way to start the show that definitely spans the generations right there i mean that, that puts you in uh, jared's uh, hall of fame right there all oh, by yes. itself that's a dang good answer <laughs> <laughs> well mark this is this is matt talking uh, i i grew up in mid-michigan too even though i live in charlotte north carolina now and both of my parents were born and raised in flint they went to flint southwestern high school and they've been listening to your music, Grand Funk Railroad, their their whole life, still listening. So I grew up listening to Grand Funk Railroad. So I, it, it's definitely an honor to talk to you. And I've got a question Thank for you. you. I've I've went and seen uh, Bob Seger twice on uh-huh. this tour that he's on right now because I just I had to go see him before he hung it up. And the right. one one thing that I noticed at his shows is 
just that his music still resonates today, you know, 30, 40 years later, some of these yeah. songs. I'm, I'm curious what you think about why classic rock basically stands the test of time, why classic rock is still cool today, some songs 40, 50 years later, you know, after they were written. Well, it was prior to the deregulation of the FCC, most of this music, and the deregulation occurred in, in 1995. So when we did a, a record as, as the pack uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, and we did it in this guy Wayne Moss's garage, but he had a, a Scully 8-track in there, and we went and we, we cut the Harlem Shuffle. We drove back to Flint all night from Nashville to get up why Bob Dell was still on the air, the DJ at WTAC, and we walked in and handed him this record, said, Bob, can you spin this, please? He put it on, dude, it spun it. And, he, and the same thing, I mean, uh, Flint, Michigan, did not know about uh, Deep Purple until Grand Funk brought a record, a 45, over to WTAC and said, spin this, and they, they heard Hush and, uh, and got hooked on on Deep Purple. So there was a lot of personal taste. There was a lot of uh, people's collective opinion about the music having a, an effect on what they were hearing on the radio. Now, uh, since the deregulation, you hear the corporate effect on radio. It has turned it to horsey poo-poo. <laughs> I tend to agree with you 100% on that. I mean, it's it's all, you know, process music, and, and yeah. it's not like it was back in the day when you started out. I mean, you you, you and I are pretty close in age, and, you know, we, we'll always remember seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and I guess that kind of inspired you to get into the world of music itself, didn't it? It sure did. Just seeing, you know, the reaction of the Beatles uh, on Ed Sullivan. And, and, then, and then because I was a a Beatles fan, am a Beatles fan. I always wanted them to just, I, I was thinking, man, I want to see them guys live. I want to see them on stage. Why can't they just bury the hatchet and just do it for us fans? You know, like ZZ Top, they don't even look at each other. <laughs> uh, they come in three different buses, but they do it for the fans, and I, my hat's off to them for that. They, they don't talk to each other, but they play music together for the fans. And, uh, and I, I wanted that to happen in the worst way, so I could go see the Beatles, and and I can, I can really conspire with people who are wanting Grand Funk to get back together because because of that. Because I would like to give it to the fans so that they have before we kick the bucket. You know, we're all three alive right now, but before we kick the bucket, give the fans what the fans want. Well, you know, you, you bring up a good point, and, you know, and we can talk about it here however you want to answer it, but, of course, it, it's very well known that uh, you guys had a, a pretty pretty tough breakup, and it, it seems like it all had to do with some management issues. Uh, obviously, all the time when bands have issues, it's money or it's egos. Tell us a little bit about that. Is there any hope whatsoever down the road? It sounds like you'd be willing to, uh, to bury the hatchet a little bit to go out and entertain for the fans. Well, I've been trying for the past over 20 years to make that happen because I am of this frame of mind. But every time I bring it up, it's shot down. And hmm. I just cannot for the life of me understand why those guys won't release 
the Shea Stadium uh, footage in its in its fullness, the the whole show, the the pre-show stuff where we come in in the cop cars. I mean, it's great. The fans would love it. And then my friend, who is uh, DEA in Washington D.C., he says, "Farner, they do not want you. They don't want to acknowledge you. Go to that site. You'll see. It's like they're they're shutting you off." And and he told me, he says, "This is why they'll never get back together with you, because your your friend, who you thought was your friend, set you up." and took advantage of you, and you signed a paper that you now regret because uh, it took two-thirds of the, the corporation and, and outweighed my one-third vote, and, and I'm no longer an officer in that corporation. I'm a shareholder. But because that was premeditated and pulled off, he said, those guys don't want you around them. They're, they're afraid you're like them and that you'll try to get back at them and, and somehow retaliate for what they've done to you. And they feel so bad about it uh, that that's, that's the evidence. And, man, I, I never thought about it until he explained it to me like that. And I thought, well, maybe that's why they're not getting I've heard brewers say, well, never say never, but it's the same horse crap. I mean, they, they deceived me to get me to sign my name into the corporation. And they deceive the fans, in my opinion, because they go out and claim their grand funk when the guy that wrote and sang 90-some percent of the music is not along with them, but they don't bother to tell anybody. Yeah. And that's a, so that that's a big, giant spur under my saddle, the bands that do this, and even Foreigner and Journey and some, you know, they go out, why don't they say the truth? Why don't they advertise truthfully who the hell the fans are going to see? Oh, yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, when you think of Grand Funk Railroad, it's it's Mark Farner with the long locks and the axe and just hacking it up up front as a, a tremendous lead guy. And the other two guys, excellent musicians, too. I mean, you guys had a killer group there for about a five, six-year run. I mean... Yeah. I mean, realistically, Mark. I mean, I'm not just that's, yanking your chain. Right. I'm not yanking your chain because you're on the Three Point Podcast. But heck, you guys should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think you're getting blackballed a little bit on that as well. Absolutely, and people uh, that that know us, and, and we've been saying the same thing collectively because we know we've been, uh, you know, because I was open mouth, uh, pour my heart out, and in front of people, and and not caring about political correctness and all the other crap uh, that causes people to to be uh, fearful. But I'm not fearful. <laughs> you know, I'm really not fearful. I, I, uh, I'm I'm who my songs say I am. Yeah, that's kind of your motto, and it's it's well put, by the way. Uh, before I let the other two guys jump in for some more questions, you talked about that Shea Stadium show. I mean, 1971, July. You guys sold 55,000 tickets in a record 70, 72 hours. The Beatles didn't even do that. That had to be incredible. Incredible because it was not. there was no electronic tickets, brothers. That was all uh, go there and buy them at the, at the box office. And they were camped out overnight at Shea Stadium on the lawns. I remember the pictures seen in the New York uh, the papers of... All these people who had camped out. I mean, it was just like a campground, it looked like. You know, I mean, it was just a lot of campers. <laughs> so, obviously, you played, like, Shea Stadium. It sounds like this was just an awesome concert. Are there any other venues that kind of stick out to you that, that are some of your favorites that you've played in? We used to 
play a place in New Orleans called the Warehouse. Mm-hmm. And that warehouse was full of Cajuns. <laughs> <laughs> and those Cajuns rock hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We, we, You know, you get caught up in the spirit of things. And people that are really, really, really into the music, uh, it happens all the time. That's why we like to go to concerts and get in groups and listen to our our bands uh, together, all the fans, because we have the uh, a unification in our spirit and our appreciation mm-hmm. for who we're listening to, because it's feeding us. And and this is part of what was happening back, you know, in the '70s with radio. It was feeding us. It was people saying things and provoking you to think. I mean, think about the song Ohio. Oh, yeah. You know, and for what it's worth. You know, people saying what was on their mind and making it uh, musical, and I believe it was anointed uh, time for people to hear truth, and this kind of stuff is not going to be heard on these radios today because it's filtered out just like the horse crap they're pulling on all this media, social media, uh, you know, they put you in a jail or whatever. I don't even know what that's about. How the heck can somebody do that? That's against the First Amendment. Uh, But to me, uh, you know, the Constitution has been crapped on. And mm-hmm. it's going down, and we we better jump up and and holler and wave the flag and say, hey, you know, put the brakes on, folks. We got to do an about face, and it has to be all of us together. So it sounds like Mark that uh, you're not a big fan of what I like to call like my music, my generation's music. But are there any like bands or performers that are popular today that you like? I uh, yes, there's a there's a few that I've heard. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't tell you. I catch it through my sons. Mm-hmm. And through my grandson, you're listening to some music, and I'll just comment and say, hey, that, that sounds good, because most of what I have heard has, has got, especially the electronic stuff, it's just, it's soulless. Yeah. When you're playing to a click track, and the, the, the click track is programmed to try to be imperfect like a human being, it's just, it don't work. <laughs> How about, it does not work. How about a little group out of Frankenmuth called... music without a, a click track on all that early funk stuff than anything, I believe, you know, as far as the spontaneity and the feeling and the emotion in the music, I, that was what sold Grand, Grand Funk music to mm-hmm. the fans early on. Yeah. How about a little band out of Frankenmuth, Greta Van Fleet? Have you heard of them and listened to any of their music at all? I have. What do you think? I like them. I like them. God bless them, you know, they're young guys. And one of the few rocking groups out there nowadays. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're young, but they're, they got maturity in their music. Well, you know, you had some tremendous songs. I know you wrote 90% of the music in the Grand Funk catalog. I mean, you know, I, I, I think you wrote this song back when you were the bossman with Dick Wagner, a heartbreaker, but that became a Grand Funk hit, didn't it? Yes, it did. Tell us a little bit about writing that one. Do you remember you know, your whole writing process, how you put some of these great songs together? Well, we were setting up, let's say we, Dick Wagner and myself, we had finished a gig up at the Lakeland Castle in Caseville, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And we drove back in his Cadillac. He always drove a big black Cadillac. And so did Warren Keith, the, the keyboard player for the Bossman. Anyway, we got up to his apartment, 
and we're sitting there, you know, and his wife and kids are in the other room sleeping, but we are very inspired after playing that show. And he says, let's play a little bit. We can, you know, we'll just sit here and play an electric guitar without an amp. You know, you've got to strain to hear it sometimes. So we're sitting there playing. He's showing me some chord inversions. And I ask him, I said, Dick, how do you write all of these songs, dude? I I mean, where does that come from? (laughs) He says, it comes from inside you, Farner. (laughs) He says, you can write music. I said, I can. He says, yeah, man, just listen to your heart. And he went to bed and I wrote Heartbreaker. Wow. Yeah, that's one of your that's one of my favorites of yours. I mean, you also had some other great ones like this one's a rocker, Jared. You got to check this one out if you uh-huh. haven't already. Foot Stomping Music. That's that's one of his better ones. Uh, you guys obviously made a hit out of Little Eva's Locomotion, but really, you you're going to be in Durand on Saturday with your American band and uh, that became one of the all-time great rock anthems. We're an American band. Where did that come from? Well, Lynn Goldsmith, who was the publicist for Grand Funk, came to the manager and us, and, he, and she said, you guys need to do a song about who you are. You're an American band. And, and she said that, and Brewer brought words in the next day. He brought lyrics in. He had it all, mm-hmm. you know, thought out. But he didn't have, he had a chord progression, but he didn't know, you know, because he's not a, a uh, guitar player. He plays two uh, notes to make a chord, which is, that's fine. It's, you know, on, on the construction, but all of that guitar, I wrote all that. I wrote the uh, drum intro for American Band. I it, I insisted that it have a cowbell, and, he's, and Brewer goes, a cowbell? And I said, yeah. He says, I'll stop and get one. I said, no, get six of them, and we'll pick the best one out of them six. And that's the one you can pay for, and that's what happened, you know. And it was number two as far as cowbell songs, only uh, bested by honky tonk women. Wow, gotta have the cowbell, man. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. That really did add to it. I was gonna ask Mark. You were talking earlier about when you guys sold out Shea Stadium, and you know, just it's it's crazy to think about. That was before electronics, and you know, before StubHub and Ticketmaster and all that. And yeah. I'm just curious how. How you've seen the whole concert-going experience change, you know, back when you used to play places like Sherwood Forest or Pine Knob and stuff like that. Now you're playing, or bands are playing Little Caesars Arena and Ford Field, you know, these big, huge arenas, and you're getting your tickets on your phone, and, you know, just the whole experience is different. What, what do you think is the big difference for you as a performer, you know, being up on stage? Well, the big difference is it's become corporate. And it happened with that deregulation in 95, because when they deregulated the FCC, they started buying up all of these, uh, not only the terrestrial radio stations, Mm -hmm. but satellite stations and amphitheaters. And when I uh, told my agent, I said, and he was talking, he sent an article to me and telling me about this company that's coming up and that's, that's called... Live Nation, or you know, oh, yeah. and uh, and this is a clear channel taking over the radio stations. And and when I was in Mexico City, I went and did a uh, at station interview, and the guy said, "This is the last time we're going to have 
uh, live interviews here, he's, uh, I said, why is that? He says, we were just bought by a clear channel yesterday. And I mean, they're they, not just the United States. They own terrestrial stations all over the place, this, this world. And that that puts the playlist in their hand, and it, and it tempers the growth of our music. We're supposed to be beyond where we are. But that stuff is not being heard because it's being filtered out, and anybody who's pouring their heart out and saying anything, they, they definitely don't want any kind of emotional upset unless they are uh, playing some of their cop-killer rap on their stations and, <laughs> and uh, stirring up the natives, you know. This is us in the, in the big cities and, and us out here, I mean, in the, the sticks. We're two different uh, breeds of people, but it's because of of the the whole thing, you know, turning into you gotta have a lot of money to go see bands now. I mean, oh good, yeah, you're, I don't even think if they're good because I haven't seen them. But any top name bands, you're gonna pay a price to go see, and it's not like it used to be, man. We used to go and play, and they'd they'd pay four and five dollars at Sherwood Forest up there in Flint. Uh, you know, outside of Flint, uh, to come and see us. It was great. And, and you know, that kind of uh, gigging, the first Atlanta Pop Festival was like that. There was the same damn attitude, but on a large scale. But that those kind of things are, man, they're, they're of the past because they don't want us to get together like that and be led by some musician who's saying something that means something spiritually or, you know, that's significant for a positive change. It's, it seems like everything's convoluted in, into this uh, brainwashing that we're all getting. And every damn movie that you see is promoting the war. Even the cartoons, the, everything's war, 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 war. The video games programming our young guys to be uh, soldiers and that's all they got on their mind is uh, this is crazy yeah. let's just let's just watch lassie and little house on the prairie and see where it goes we have mark mark farner with us mark one of the nice things about our podcast or any podcast we don't really have any time constraints i think you do but can you hang with us a little bit longer uh, this sure. is really this is awesome so uh mark i just had a question um you, obviously you were you know pretty big and you still are pretty big is who are some like artists or bands that you maybe would have liked to have recorded and like written a song with maybe well i always thought that i would like to write a song with the uh, holland oats oh okay yeah I like some of their stuff, you know, R&B flavor, mm-hmm. and could be some funky stuff happening. I could see that. And I like, uh, you know, the Ides of March, Jim Peterick, he has uh, the world stage, and those guys are releasing their 55th anniversary album this year, and I got to sing and do a cameo special and uh, duet mm-hmm. with Jim Peterick. What was their What was their big hit? I'm drawing a blank. I'm your vehicle, baby. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Good <laughs> recollection on that one. We're talking with Mark Farner. This is just incredible. We're really looking forward to Saturday night over in Durand. I'll definitely be there, and I'll make sure I say hello to you in person. But uh, you know, I guess we'd be remiss. People can look up the history of Grand Funk and all that. But how about in your words? Tell us about how the three of you got together and really made this thing happen. Well, the brewer and I were out 
in Cape Cod with the fabulous pack, <laughs> and which consisted of Kenny Rich on guitar and Craig Frost on keyboards, Don Brewer on drums, and we had Rod Lester on bass. Okay. And when we got there, we they told us if we'd go out and play Cape Cod and, and play these few gigs out there, there was a half a dozen gigs they wanted us to play, and I say they, it was Delta Promotions out of Bay City. It was uh, George Kehoe uh, was his name, the, the owner of it, and, uh, and he owned uh, a rehearsal facility up there as well. Um, so we go to Cape Cod, and we play these gigs, and we're about uh, halfway into it, and the worst snowstorm in the history of the world hits the East Coast. And I'm not kidding you. This this just, they dumped uh, two and a half foot of snow on us. And we were in these little tiny beach cottages on Cape Cod that were not insulated. <laughs> there, was, there was nothing but a little tiny wall uh, space heater. And everybody huddled around that thing to keep from freezing to death. The pipes had froze. All of the shells that we had picked up from the beach, us Michiganders, <laughs> that we put down the, the basement where the, the, the mechanical room was, well, that there was so much snow and so much water that came with it, it all filled that space and froze all of our shells into a great big block of ice under there. All the pipes were froze. The, the plumbing didn't work. We got down to oatmeal, dude. I'm talking, this is the only thing. We didn't have any butter to put up, no sugar, no raisins, no nothing, just oatmeal. And we had to melt down snow on this gas stove. Thank God we had the gas stove to, to cook our oatmeal. And it was pretty bad. And we finally got through to Brewer's mom with a phone call because the phone lines were out down there in Cape Cod in East Sandwich where we were staying. Mm-hmm. So the guy at the store let us use the phone, and we got a hold of Brewer's mom, and, and she, uh, Western Union, some money, and Brewer and I hitchhike up the coast. We go to this drugstore, pick up our money, and go rent a van and get our equipment and go get the boys, go back to Michigan. And by the time we got back, two of the players, Kenny Rich and Craig Frost, were both married, and their wives were threatening to divorce them <laughs> they, they didn't quit the band. So they, they, they had to quit the band. And, and then we, we were kind of down in the dumps. And I told Brewer, I said, man, let's just do a three-piece. He says, well, what do you think? And I said, a three-piece and nobody that's married. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we just got to get somebody that, that can play. And, you know, so we go, we go up to Bay City because we found out that Instead of free gigs, we were actually getting paid, and the the person that was taking care of that, that was putting us in the cottages, he was taking that money. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was our stay in the cottage. I don't know, but they should have told us that up front. Anyways, we go up to give this guy, George Kehoe, a piece of our mind, and we're sitting there in the waiting room, and... Uh, we're hearing a band playing in through the through the wall in the other room, and I said, "Listen, to that bass player right there, Brewer. There's a bass player." And he says, "Yeah, man. I wonder who that is." So we're sitting there waiting for our turn to get in to see George, and they, the band that was rehearsing took a break, 
and the door opened, and here comes Mel Shocker walking out. And of course, Mel and I had gone to school together, rode dirt bikes together, smoked pot together. We <laughs> did everything. We, you know, we were buddies. And he, I said, dude, we're going to put together a three-piece. You want to join? He says, yeah, man, I'm over what I'm doing here. This is not working for me. And he was playing bass with Question Mark and the Mysterians at the time. But mm-hmm. this is how Grand Funk started. Wow. Well, the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, we'll we'll let you go after just a couple more questions, if that's all right, Mark. That's fine. All right. Uh, so this is one that I've always wondered. We actually talked about on this podcast. So every time I go to a concert, at the end of that performance, the lead singer will always say, like, this is the best crowd I've ever played for. Um, is that something that you say, like, at every performance? Is that something that every performer says, or is there some truth to that? What do they say? They say that this is, like, the best crowd I've ever played for. Oh, no. When you get fired up like that i i I have been caught up in that frenzy and and shouted that out (laughs) myself in several places (laughs) you know uh but that's that comes from the heart a lot of it and you can you can tell if it moves you Mm -hmm. so obviously you've played in front of a lot of good crowds have you ever had like a crowd that maybe booed you off stage or have you ever had a poor experience like something like that i've had one experience like that when our agency we moved uh, I was with Atlantic Records mm-hmm. uh, in 77, 78, somewhere right around in there. Charlie Daniels was playing on Long Island, and they said, Do you, you want to open for Charlie Daniels? I said, yeah, I, I, you know, I'll open mm-hmm. for anybody, really. I was just like playing music, but I, we, got, we started our set, and uh, the Charlie Daniels crowd did not like us. They started, they didn't like rock and roll. They wanted to hear some, you know. Devil went down to Georgia. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And so that was just a bad matchup. But Uh they, I'm telling you, they bounced a beer bottle off my collarbone, and it (laughs) convinced me I needed to leave the stage because it was dangerous standing there at that mic. (laughs) (laughs) When you, uh, Mark, I want to ask you, when you look back on your career, and you definitely have many more years of rocking and entertaining, especially you just put out a new single, Can't Stop. So you still have a lot more years in, in your career, but Thank when you, you look back on your career, whether it's your solo career or with Grand Funk Railroad, what do you hope is the lasting impact that you have when people look back on, on the music that you've made? Well, the, the love that has come from it and the healing that people have felt from it because uh, it's, it's from my heart, you know, and people uh, come to my shows, and I, I love to you know, stay and listen, but everybody tells me just a little bit of here, and I get to hear a little bit from this person about when they first heard my music and when they, they were so moved, and, and I kept them from getting on drugs, and I, you know, they, they just make me, they encourage me to, to, to be out on that stage and keep doing this more and more and more until I, you know, until I suck my last breath, brother. I, you know, I'm going to be there. That a guy. And, you know, I'm going to take the last question, I think, here, unless you guys want to fire anything else out there. But, you know, Mark, I mean, a guy your age, my age, and we survived Vietnam, the civil rights, all the assassinations in the 60s, you know, the moonshot at the end. You know, you are you lived a dream being a rock and roll star and still doing it. But, you know, the old saying was, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, you know, you, you probably lived that life for a while, but you also turned it all around in the mid-'80s, didn't you? That's right. Tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up this podcast. Well, I turned it back over to Christ because 
when I was nine years old and my dad died, Billy Graham was doing a crusade through Flint, Michigan, and we had just got a TV um, just maybe a week before he died, and we got it hooked up. We'd never had a TV prior to that. We always listened to the radio. But anyways, after my dad died, my relatives were all over at our house, and my mother was crying. Everybody's crying. They're in the dining room. This is a couple of days after the funeral, but my mother was just going crazy. She just couldn't handle uh, my dad being gone. And I walked into the living room, and Billy Graham was saying, if you're hurting, if you need a touch from God, you know, and I'm thinking, man, are you talking to me? I'm looking at that guy. And they, he said, come on over here and put your hand on the TV set and pray with me. So I did, and I, and I felt better. I felt different. I felt better about trusting in something uh, I, that I couldn't see, but it was, it was my faith in my heart, and I knew that, you know, he was saying some things to me. But I went out and had my rock and roll success in, in life, and I thought I had the, the cat by the ass. And, uh, but then my wife left me in 1982, and uh, I had the kids. She had, you know, she had just taken off. And after a week, man, I'm thinking, holy crap. I kept thinking, she'll be back any day. She, she can't live without me. I mean, dang, you know. But, but that, that was going south on me. And I went, I started going to these churches because I was looking for God. But I went into the first church, and this guy was preaching hell, fire, and brimstone, and hell. I'm, I, I could not feel any spirit in that church. I got up and left, and several churches around that little town. And then finally I got into this little church where when I went in with my faded jeans, you know, my sneakers and my Hawaiian shirt and headband, <laughs> you know, and, and they still embraced me because that was always my test. They didn't know who I was as far as uh, Mark Farner, Grand Funk Railroad. They just knew I was somebody coming to church looking for God. And the, and that little church that day, these older women come up, gave me a hug, and I felt the love in them when they hugged me. And I said, man, this is real. This is real stuff. And the guy preaches on the institution of marriage and how people walk out the front door of the church and they leave the promise of, and that that oath that they've given is is with God. It's it's a it's a spiritual connection and it's between the Creator and those two people. But they leave it there on the altar and it's a, you know and this guy's eighty some years old, eighty nine years old, preaching this stuff. And it's like he had the gun out, and he was shooting at me, and he didn't have no blanks. I'm telling you, live rounds was blowing me in the heart. And when he gave an altar call, I went back up on that altar, and I, I just asked him if I could rededicate my life, and, and could we pray to get my wife back? He says, listen, young man, he says, you pray, and I'll agree. <laughs> so I did, and he agreed, and that same day... Over and I was in Onaway, Michigan, but that same day in Petoskey, Michigan, my friends picked up my wife, took them to their house, or took her to their house, and they uh, prayed with her, and she gave her life to Christ. That day, we got back together two days later, <laughs> under those circumstances, wow. and 
we are going to live happily ever after because it's it's been it'll be 42 years our next anniversary here in january wow and it's because you know love is alive between us but i esteem her to be equal with myself that is that's an incredible story mark and uh, gives me some uh, goosebumps and i know you know we talked about your rock and roll career but you also had some pretty decent success in the contemporary Christ- christian world you were number 2 on the charts with isn't it amazing and i these guys might want to check it out sometime but i caught a little bit of some kind of wonderful with uh, your retake on lyrics including jesus and i thought it was just outstanding right on i appreciate it brother all right well we've taken enough of your time mark it's been uh, tremendous by the way i want to send a shout out to your publicist melissa she does a great job man i really had a had a nice time dealing with her so i want to give her a shout out and i'll definitely Thank come over i'll definitely come over and say hello saturday night looking forward to a big crowd we'll keep pumping it here at z92.5 right. and three, three point guys. podcast all right mark farner thanks a lot buddy you bet rock them alive over there brothers yep. me mistreated can't you see I'm real? Are you satisfied with the way you feel? Boy, I know uh, Matt had to drop offline after that interview because he has big uh, anniversary plans with his bride. I saw some pictures posted on Facebook. Looks like he had a nice anniversary weekend at the beach. He, uh, he got married at the beach a few years ago and now taking his wife out for a nice dinner. Isn't that a nice thing to do? That is a, a nice thing. What did you do for your last When is your anniversary? It's in September. From now you don't on, know the date. I know the date. September. September 26th and I'll <laughs> tell you what I'll be doing in the future. I'll be celebrating my granddaughter Parker's birthday because she was born on our anniversary. Wow. So that's our that's our present to each other. So you're going to be doing the old one year old chore cake, even though she has no idea yep. what's going yep. on. Yeah, Jessica's already she already has the party all planned. It's going to yeah, and you'd have to know my daughter. She uh, she grew up on a farm. She had uh, she had a true love for horses. Had a couple horses. Learned you know took horse riding lessons. Well, she's putting on a a theme for her party. Uh, Harper's. I can't remember the theme all of a sudden. I'm drawing a blank. But Parker's is, uh, it's it's county fair. Come to the county fair. So they're going to have cotton candy, corn dogs, stuff like that. It's going to be a, a take on the county fair for her first there at the end of September. So that'll that'll be our anniversary celebration in itself. You know, the interview with Mark Farner, how awesome is that? Is that dude a cool dude or what? He What a awesome guy. I mean, talk about a guy who's just like, he was the king, still is the king. Just the way he, you talk to him, he's, just, he's like he's like you've known him. He's got one of those personalities where it's you talk to him for five minutes, you feel like you've known him his whole, your whole life. Yeah, I was really impressed with that. I wasn't sure what we were going to get, but I thought I had a feeling it was going to go like that. And uh, I got to tell you, Jared, and this is no lie. I remember back in the seventies, uh, there used to be a TV show that was on Friday nights. It was called Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. Every Friday night at like midnight, they would have a concert. Mm-hmm. with one of the top bands out there. And they had all the big bands of those days. And I'll never forget watching Grand Funk on there. You know, they played a series of probably five or six songs. You can look it up on YouTube sometime. Uh, incredible. Mark, he had the long, long stringy hair, you know, at the lead of the band. He never wore a shirt. 
He rocked the guitar. The other two guys in the band, Grand Funk, were just awesome. And to think they were from Flint, Michigan, and they were at the top of the rock and roll world. I wasn't just blowing smoke up his ass saying they should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They've got kind of blackballed. Their manager at the time, I think, was Terry Knight. He wouldn't allow the band members to talk with the press. The press got irritated. You know, really? Kind of didn't. They didn't give them the love they should have. They never were really critically acclaimed, which is really amazing. If you listen to some of their songs and just sit back, maybe put some headphones on and listen to them. It's some it's some great music, you know, and they should that makes be in the rock zero sense. Why would you not like? It's not like you're an NBA player where if you perform, yeah. you know, you're gonna be basically you need the press to succeed as like a performer, pretty much. No matter how good your songs are, right. I don't and, think they're gonna. And they succeeded despite you know not getting all the lo- the love from the rock and roll critics. I mean, in those days, the 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 go to magazine was Rolling Stone magazine. I think they got you know they got dissed by Rolling Stone magazine, you know, for whatever reason. I can't remember what it was, but if you, like I said, if you listen to their music, if you saw their concerts, because they were at the cutting edge of putting on a show, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these bands like Queen with Adam Lambert now and Freddie Mercury before him, they put on a show. And I mean, again, we've talked about it ad nauseum for Faster Horses, but the ones you really enjoyed put on a show, you know, played great music. You talked about Zach Brown Band playing some covers. They like mm-hmm. to mix that in, and they, it, it's it's all about, since you're spending the big money nowadays, they better put on a show. Yeah, exactly. What did you think about how he said that music today, it's all synthesizers and, uh, you know, clap tracks? And I kind of agree with him on that, and he also was kind of leading into, in 95, you know, the FCC cranked down on things. They allowed big corporations to really run radio and if you know he kind of was alluding to it i was going to hit him up with it with a follow-up question he's kind of t- they don't allow him to get very political in their music anymore i mean do, do you find that at all in the in the music you listen to i know the hard rap maybe gets a little political mm-hmm. but the mainstream <laughs> pop music do they really no i mean not really because if you like isn't that like what taylor swift's getting you know mocked for or whatever or getting in trouble like kid rocks going at her and stuff yeah. because she's you know I don't, liberal i guess or whatever well and yeah just, and he's very conservative uh-huh. but yeah i mean it, back in the day it's no lie back in the 60s and 70s i mean rock and rollers they they, they kind of set policy in this country you know because the young people the youth they listen to him like he mentioned talking about the song ohio crosby stills and nash after do you even know what ohio is about the national guard went to the university of ohio they were protesting the vietnam war and our own soldiers our national guardsmen opened fire on innocent students on the campus of Ohio University killed four students and Crosby Stills and Nash were so inspired by that that I think it was uh, Neil Young he went out into the woods and wrote the song Ohio in an hour and came back and called the guys in the band and said hey we got to go to the studio right now they recorded that song like Two days after the event, it hit the airwaves. The DJs played it, and it became an anthem of that era. Mm-hmm. And think about that. You're at Grand Valley State University, and the National Guard, they come in, you're protesting whatever, and they start opening fire. That's that's the kind Crazy. of stuff we had to yeah. deal with back in the days. You know, and it kind of it kind of spirals into what we're looking at right now with the different things going on with, with gun violence and everything, and I'm not even going to get into that. So anyway, the Mark Farner thing, we enjoyed it. Again, he'll be at... Uh, roundhouse stadium saturday night i guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little sports here uh, nfl football's underway uh, antonio brown is in the news with some of your thoughts on that so for those who don't know the story antonio brown has he's always worn you know a helmet that not quite 
Ted's days, a little bit past. Like probably probably was worn in like the nineteen early nineteen. I think it was like ten years old, wasn't it? Something <laughs> yeah. like that. I, mean, I don't think it was, I don't think it was that out. His his but, helmet? Yeah. That helmet's been that's a standard. Is it's it? been around since okay. The '90s, probably. That's like what something that like Joe Montana would wear. Well, well keep talking because I think I might have questions of you. What, what, first of all, what's his love for this helmet that he can't change to a safer helmet? That's why it's so preposterous because it's not even like a cool helmet. Right. That's like something I've always looked at. And like, why does he wear that? Like, and that's just. <laughs> and then now it's kind of funny that it's they're forcing him to wear a helmet that doesn't have styrofoam pads on the inside, and he's freaking out about it. Okay. And it's just, but it's like it's he's, expected with this guy. I mean, this is the same guy that bleached his mustache blonde. <laughs> I mean, what did you expect from this dude? <laughs> you got that right. See, he is a little wacky. I mean, he's he's along the lines of how Ter- Terrell Owens acted back mm-hmm. in the day. You know, what do you think the outcome is? Is it just going to be he's going to, you know, get some publicity here and maybe come back for the last uh, preseason game or show up for uh, the first regular season game? He's not going to sit out the whole year because of this, is he? I don't know. People are saying like maybe he's bipolar, a bunch of like weird. I mean, he sat out. He's done so many weird things for the Steelers. We thought it was done. That's true. When he had the whole freak out with Ben Roethlisberger and the whole Steelers, Mike Tomlin. But he's not. Maybe he is nuts. I mean, that, that's that's a. <laughs> I mean, he's spray painted politically. He spray painted. Did you hear this? He spray painted his old Steelers helmet like Raiders colors. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> and did. it was like like a shade off, so they could tell that it wasn't like <laughs> issued. I don't know what like, but why is it such a big deal to NFL? Like, if this guy wants to have CTE, well, I mean, but then again, the no, no, lawsuits they, come I, are coming I, when you have something like that. I'm so on the NFL side on this. I mean, it's you got to be uniform. You, I, I don't care if he signed a waiver or whatever to wear his own helmet. I am definitely on the NFL side. Of this one you gotta i mean they're gonna go for the safety of the, of the players right now and it, obviously the newer helmets are safer there's no question you'd agree with that wouldn't you i mean yeah i think they're definitely safer but i guess there's not really is there any really way to know for sure if they're well, I, can you really prevent a concussion i don't think it, you it'd can. be pretty tough the other the other strange story with him is he's he has frostbite on his feet that's why yeah. he's been out from a from one of those Cairo. I'm not, I'm not I wanted to let word. you say Chamber. it. I can't say yeah. it either. From one of those, and it's just, and if you haven't seen the picture, it's just blisters all over his feet, yeah. and he can't even run on them. It's kind of crazy it's how insane. that. I don't. That's just. I don't know. I mean, have did have you did you have a chance to watch the Hard Knocks episode yet? About I've seen, the Raiders, I've seen the first one. Yeah, I liked it. It wasn't quite the 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 pizzazz as Cleveland, but I, I liked it. I thought you know, Gruden was pretty good. A couple of the parts that I really loved about it, and for people who don't have HBO, this is just it kind of sucks. Actually, this episode is on YouTube for free. The oh. first episode of Hard Knocks is always on YouTube for free. Oh, I so didn't if, know you that. if you haven't watched it, pause this podcast right where you're at and go watch it. But the parts that I loved, right at the beginning, John Gruden, what a speech! You know, what, you know exactly what I'm talking about—the nightmare speech where he, he doesn't want—he doesn't he want doesn't, him playing for the blue bonnet bowl. No, he wants—he wants to be someone's nightmare. He wants someone coming for their job. And then the other great part, John Madden, when they had him spliced over when they were all hitting the seven-man sled, awesome. and John Madden was saying "hut," and they were—they they, they, the producers perfectly lined it up where they were hitting the sled right as he said it. That's what makes Hard Knocks good because they, although it's, you know, I would watch. Any and basically, I'd watch an zero and nine high school team if they had a documentary crew around them, just because I love football so much. But the way the work they put into that and how they're able to turn it around so quickly, you know, every Tuesday in the middle yeah. of training camp, they really do a really good job. On they that. do. HBO really does have the production capability, pretty much second to none, especially when it comes to their sports coverage. And it, I agree, it's it's much watch much must watch TV. So if you don't have HBO, watch the first episode, like Jared said. But you might want to figure out how to get it. I don't know. Are you going to be able to? I'm actually. Out? I'm actually using um, my friend's uh, HBO account, Josh oh. Richardson. He has no idea that I'm using. It. So, 
Well, good. So you'll be tuned in tomorrow night. Tune in, hundred percent. Right. All right. Speaking of the of NFL and the Lions, I don't know if you saw any of their performance uh, against the Patriots last Thursday night, but it was absolutely pathetic. I realize it was only the backups against the backups, but it was one of the worst efforts I ever saw. And you know, we were talking about the over under seven wins. I wonder if that went down at all because it, they don't have don't, any backup help. Do you? put any credence even in the fourth preseason game like do you watch that and say like oh this is what we're dealing with this year yeah i put the only credence i put in this one it's it's the opener of preseason it's you're basically playing the backups of the other team the funny thing was when the lions starters were in last year they beat the patriots at home and the only thing that really was disconcerting to me was it didn't seem like they were really putting in any effort it's your first game at home I have a few concerns now. I, I think what it does is if you if you think the Lions are going to suck this year and you watch that, it just confirms, it just reinforced reinforced it eight hundred percent. It did too, you know, because I really don't. I I was having a little bit of hope, and you know, you're listening to Chris Spielman saying, "I think this in my three years of doing these games here, this is the best uh, roster that I've seen." And I'm thinking, "Well, okay." The the Lions have the best roster that Chris in... Spielman has seen in his time covering them. Why do we always get Spielman on our games? That's when you know the Lions suck. I, I, he's all right. Well, he's a former Lion. I mean, he played for the Lions. <laughs> he does a pretty. Good, I mean, he's 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 a Fox guy. He does Fox games. Yeah, you know. I don't know. He's just of all the the NFL announcers, he's like one of my least favorite. Okay, I kind of like him myself, but uh, that's the other thing I was going to bring up tonight about the preseason coverage. If you have the NFL Network, you get every single preseason game. You know, they play, they repeat them at different times of the day. But last weekend, and I was flipping back and forth on uh, the NFL Network all the time, checking out some of the other games. And really, what I was more interested in was seeing who's who's doing the broadcast. You know, like in Miami, they had Dick Stockton was doing the mm-hmm. play by play they had uh bob greasy i hadn't heard him in a while yeah. he was doing color as a former miami dolphin and jason uh jason johnson i think with their former defensive end is that who, the right name anyway <laughs> listen to watching some of these other preseason games with some of the the former players it was, it's kind of cool to check out uh, is that like so they should like test out some different crews in, right. in the preseason i feel or i guess my my the thing that i'm looking forward to watching is obviously all the rookies. You know, yeah. Kyler Murray, like when when he's finally, you know, gets the keys kind of unleashed on him, like probably in game four of the preseason. Like I can't wait to watch that. Probably game three. They won't play. Yeah, in game, game three. Four. Yeah, is yeah. that normally how the okay, so no game three. Yeah. And then also Jason Witten. Just from being in the booth for a year, oh, what if if he comes down and just it's like nothing ever happened, that's pretty incredible. That'll be incredible and really uh <laughs> You know, he got a lot of criticism, and I thought it was pretty well deserved. He was not ready for the big time when he when he started. What was it? It was Monday Night Football. Yeah, Monday right? Night. I mean, you can't throw a guy like that right into the fire. He just wasn't ready for it. He was not Tony Romo at all. You know? Yeah. So, well, so who's the, who's the punter that I really like? Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee's going to be awesome. He's going to be on college football Thursday night games, so he'll be doing some action. No, action's Tuesday night. Oh, it's you, Tuesday night. How now? dare you? It's always been Tuesday. Night. Oh, I thought they. I thought they had Thursday. Thursday night's always NFL games. Well, Thursday has college games. Unless too. Maction's both. Well, he's I'm, doing. I, it's always been Tuesday night Mac. He's doing ESPN uh, game of the week on Thursday night. Whatever that game's going to be. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the Mac or not, I don't know. But he's going to be doing it. So that'll be kind of cool to check out. And he's he's got a gig now with ESPN. So good luck to him. I like him. I, I like him a lot too. Uh, he's like really po- like he has a big time like cult following i have a few friends where they just they listen to everything he does they watch every video he does and they buy all the gear that he has like i don't know what it is about he just he is a way to draw in you know a very... he's got that great delivery and you know what's interesting about his drawl it's it's a pittsburgh accent uh-huh. you, you knew that right yeah 
Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> kind of, not really. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's cool the way he talks. So I have a big announcement. Okay. And I'm not, when I say this is going to be shocking to you, it's going to be shocking. Okay. I finally watched Bohemian Rhapsody this weekend. The, for the first time? For the first oh, time. Oh, you didn't go to the movies? No. no. I never saw This is the first time I've seen now, it. Now, what do you think? Give me a review. I True actually, review. I actually really liked it. You did? I, I forgot how many hits Queen has. You know, <laughs> just a name. Like, I, I went through and named all the songs that I, because I went through on Spotify after I watched this movie. I felt inspired. You know, I'm going to go through and I'm going to save all the songs that I like by Queen. Okay. You know, Somebody to Love, We Will Rock You, Another right. One Bites the Dust, Killer Queen, Under Pressure, <laughs> Fat Bottom Girls, love of my Bohemian Rap- Rhapsody, We Are the Champions, and Don't Stop Me. Those are my favorites. Okay. And it sounds like you, like, uh, you are the love of my life. That's a that's a killer love song. It really is. Some of my favorite parts of this movie, and people who are listening are probably like, geez, why won't they just let this damn movie die? We can't. <laughs> we cannot do it. But uh, when they showed how We Will Rock You was made, where the whole point behind it was so that the, for those who didn't haven't seen it, the whole point behind making that song with basically the, the foot stomping and the clapping is because they wanted the crowd to be able to, you know, like play the music back to them, I guess pretty much, is what I got from it. I thought that was a really cool mo- moment that really made me like appreciate the movie. Also, let me ask you this, because before you saw the movie, you thought that uh, they were kind of dissing Freddie Mercury because the other guys weren't really any good. But after seeing the movie and seeing their contributions, did you change your thoughts on that a little bit? A little it's bit, still but it's Freddie still... Mercury the key, for sure. Yeah, something that's like, I don't know, they really went, like, I don't and I don't have a problem with his sexuality. Like, that's not like, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. But it Team was girls. like, they went way over blown on it. Like, there was one scene, and I actually kind of started laughing during this, where it's just, like, him singing, and there's, like, pictures of, like, guys in, like, leather and, like, chains at, like, a gay bar, All like, right, popping right. up around his head. Like, I don't, why was the point of that? Like, you got that he was he was gay, but they had, like, 50 different scenes where they had that showing. Well, they were, I think the whole point of that is they were trying to paint the picture of the gay scene in those days, and there was. The guys with the mustache like he ended up with, you know, the short hair, the leather jackets. That was the bar scene for the gays in those days. You know days. what I noticed? What's that? And actually, it was my brother that pointed this out. You look a lot like Freddie Mercury. You kind of <laughs> had the same style going. Oh, the mustache, the, the black do. hair. I don't. I, was that where you kind of came up with the uh, no, whole mustache I, I, look? It's the first time I've ever Teddy been. Teddy Mercury? It's fir- first time I've ever been compared to Freddie Mercury. I've been compared to uh, Tony Orlando before. But I don't it, even know who that well, is. Look it up. Look it up. But overall, on a scale of one to three, on the Tedertainment Tonight scale, what would you give Bohemian Two point five. Two, solid two point five. Very solid two point five. Uh, one another classic character, and you probably know this guy's name, you know, as you're such a big Queen fan. The little puppy dog, like Freddie Mercury's, like boy toy, that was kind of always oh. following him around with the mustache and right. kind of looked like Jake Gyllenhaal, kind of, but like a fatter version. <laughs> who was that guy? I don't know who it was, but that was a classic character. I can't remember what his exact. T- is he the same guy that uh, like that outed s- Freddie Mercury? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Slid into the uh, manager role. Yeah. And then he brought all the buddies, all the young guys, over to his house mm-hmm. and that. Exactly. I don't know what his role exactly was, but he was kind of like a hanger on guy that kind of weaseled his way to the front, you know, mm-hmm. and really caused Freddie to stray from the band. Yeah. yeah. And then, then I just had one more note on it. Yeah. Being at that Live Aid concert, oh. that would have been awesome. So I just have a question for you. Like, yeah. did you watch that on TV? Did you donate it all? <laughs> on the donation part, mm, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> completely honest, probably not. Probably no. Not. But did I watch it on TV? Yeah. Yes, I did. And was that actually like entertaining? You know, when the I can imagine the sound quality on a TV back back then just terrible. Probably yeah, wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the best. I, you know, on the TV. I mean, you didn't have the flat screen high def TVs in those days either. But I do remember. You know, because every major rock act in the whole world 
participated in it. Mm-hmm. So you got to see, you know, the Rolling Stones, the the Who, all these other great groups. And then, as you said, you talked about the the uh, Queen set. Did you get a chance to look it up afterwards and see how close it was to the movie? I know that I've seen like videos of you on YouTube where it's like exactly. they say they have like they have them right next to each other. Yeah, and and, and Rami Malek, pretty he's pretty good as Freddie Mercury. Pretty well deserved Oscar, uh-huh. wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah, he, he had him down. Did you get, were you a li- little bit uh, disconcerned at the beginning with the uh, the size of his teeth? It kind of at the very beginning, I thought <laughs> it's kind of jarring. I can't, I can't take my eyes off his mouth. <laughs> it is kind of jarring, but apparently that's like. What made him have such a wide range vocally, yeah. I guess, is what I've heard, but that's pretty cool. That's very true. Uh, anything else, anything happened on the weekend uh, we should be aware of? Not really. I mean, I spent Saturday morning. I mean, that's a long movie, like two and a half hours, basically how that's I true. spent my Saturday morning. But mm-hmm. no, I mean, I'm just getting ready to go back to college. I mean, back back to school on Monday. Oh my. So it's, it's creeping Already. up. Summer is over. So this is your final appearance in the studio this Final summer. appearance in the studio for oh. until pretty much Thanksgiving break All right. is what well, we're looking at. Well, we'll definitely be hooking up with you via phone for sure. And I just want to tell you, this Saturday, August 17th at Duran High School Roundhouse Stadium, big, big concert. It's the concert of the summer here in mid-Michigan. It's the third annual Duran Veterans Rock and Roll Show. Gates open at 4 with veterans being honored at 5.30. The great area acts will start around 6 or so with the show's headliner, Mark Farner's American Band, closing the show. For tickets and more information, go to www.veteransofrock.org. All right, everybody loves bargain hunting at auction, right? Well, go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on upcoming auctions ending August 13th, a big auction, including a load of Home Depot flooring, grills, tents, and much more. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com or call Troy Crow at 989-720-SELL for other details. And you all know we need a pub to chill out and relax. Ours is Rivals. Rivals Tap House and Grill. That's the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Big event coming up on September 7th, ironically, Jared. Listen to this at 8 o'clock. Come on out and celebrate the 80s and Freddie Mercury's birthday. The 80s and Queen going to be featured with karaoke, trivia, and another big reason to go to Rivals, 89-cent well drinks. That's right up your alley, isn't it? Well, now, this might be a dumb question, but well drinks. Is, th- that, just, is that just like draft beers? that uh, I th- hipster way of saying that. I think I, I think it's mixed drinks, but it's it's the house. Oh, it's okay. the house, uh, you know, liquor. Oh, not, okay. not top got it, got shelf. It, yep, yep. <laughs> and I, also, every Thursday night is bike night at Rivals with specials all evening long. Awesome food and drink, Rivals Tap House and Grill. Before we wrap up the show, do you know anything about what, what's been going on with a guy named Jeffrey Epstein? No. Fill me in. All right. This guy was a mega mega millionaire, right? He had close ties with uh, Trump and uh, Clinton and Prince Andrew of England. Well, anyway, he was charged with sex trafficking oh. young girls back in the day, and he was put in jail. And he's waiting trial. They wouldn't put him on bond. So he tried to commit suicide a couple weeks ago. And uh, it just came out last weekend some of the big names that were tied up into his into his sex trafficking group, allegedly, right? Guys like uh, the former governor of uh, New Mexico, Bill Richardson, and and Prince Andrew of England, and uh, I think it was John Mitchell, some politician that was a b- big time in the cabinet of George Bush. Well, anyway, these names got released, and he'd already tried to commit suicide two or three weeks ago, so he was on suicide watch. Well, all of a sudden, you get the news flash Saturday morning that Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide. Now, 
I don't know if you've ever watched the show House of Cards or some of these <laughs> political conspiracy things out there, but this reeks of conspiracy that maybe it was a mob hit. Somebody was paid off probably to do him away before he could testify against some of the think you've real been, big uh, names out You've there. been uh, watching a few too many Irishman trailers. <laughs> maybe, but... Check that out in the news as we go along. You just always have to have some sort of downer. Like, I, what was the... You got Jeffrey Epstein, you got sex trafficking, and... I did end that up pretty bad, didn't I? <laughs> I mean, what, can we end on something light? What do you think? What we, do you, well... What do you got? You got to throw one more. You can't end with that. All right. This this. Oh, ought to, this what about the pre- rapper list? <laughs> you had a rapper list that you teased last week that you apparently oh, you just, you threw it under the rug. Let's save that. We're running out of time. Uh, this won't cheer you up either. Tigers, 35 <laughs> and 80. <laughs> 35 God. and 80. Think about that. I that's as bad as it. Can I know be. that you guys normally go on a Tigers game every year. It seems like that's pretty much been just canceled. Yeah, because did, it's so did, bad. Am I well, wrong? There's no reason to go now. We're getting we're in football season. If we would have went, we should have gone in April or not actually April, May or June. Mm-hmm. You know, while it's still somewhat relevant, only 47 games left. But here's a more pleasant thought. You know, our first game of the the radio football season coming up on uh, the 29th of August, East Lansing at St. John's. We're going to be leading into that with a prep pigskin preview right here at three point podcast we'll air that also uh on 8 27 august 27th and we'll also re-air it on z92.5 following the game on the 29th so that's some big news and also don't forget this saturday the big concert over at durand high school roundhouse stadium that's uh, August 17th, the third annual Duran Veterans Rock and Roll Show. Gates open at 4, veterans being honored at 5.30. A lot of great acts starting around 6 o'clock or so with the show's headliner. Our guest, Mark Farner's American Band, closing the show. For more details and ticket information, go to veteransofrock.org. Anything else you want to get on the table, Jared, or do we want to bail out of here? I just, I, you better be uh, having a good time at that concert. I know that you cannot wait to go, and I know you know how to party when you really want to. Sometimes you just kind of don't decide to go down that route. Uh, I don't, well, get this. It's at the high school football stadium, right? Uh huh. They, they got a one day liquor license. Oh, really? Yeah. So they're serving beer and wine and stuff <laughs> there. Cool. So that's, that's awesome. It's going to be a real concert. So come that's on. It's pretty out. awesome that Duran's putting that on, Duran High School, too. Yeah. At Duran High School, mm-hmm. you know, great cooperation. The funds, the, all the profits are going to fund the veterans mm-hmm. and also the, uh, uh, the train station over there. So, I mean, it, it's a great cause. The third annual event. Looking forward to it. I can't wait to go. Taking my wife. We're going to have a great time. You know, this has been a concert year for me, as you know. We've talked about many concerts. And, mm-hmm. you know, my first concert I went to was Uriah Heep at Cobo Hall, 1973. And the most recent one's going to be Mark Farner this Saturday night. Looking forward to it. Well, that's going to do it for now. We want to thank Matt for joining us for the Mark Farner interview. And, uh, Jared, good to see you. Our last appearance together here in the studios. We'll miss you here, but uh, we'll We'll be checking in with you every week. Looking forward to it. Another great year of school for you. Yeah, hopefully my last year. You know, fingers crossed as long as I pass my classes. Oh, my, my sister was right. I thought you had a couple years to go. This, this is your last year, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'll be graduating. And like I said, Knock on wood. Right. Got to pass classes. I, oh, I know you're doing well. But it would be at only three years. So That's tremendous. Well, and again, do you know where your first gig is for the, the TV station over there? Nope. Uh, just ordered, put the order in for shirts this year. Uh, medium. So, oh, medium. You know. Going down in size. <laughs> no. Go, maybe going up a little. I, I used to be able to wear a small, you know, easily. Now it's like if I wear a small, it's way too tight. <laughs> Medium's a good size. All right. You like to show off those guns, don't you? <laughs> all right, everybody, subscribe. Rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and others. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 3 Pod. 
Big, big thanks to Mark Farner. Check out Mark and his American band this Saturday as they headline the Duran Veterans of Rock and Roll concert at Roundhouse Stadium. And again, for details, veteransofrock.org. Also, make sure you get to support our Three Point Podcast partners, Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and Promec Engineering. Also, be sure to check out our friends at Sports Radio Detroit for their great programming, including Three Point Podcast. This has been a Three Point Podcast production with special thanks to Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5, The Castle. Thanks once again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcast. I just can't hide. I, Till you're loving me too